Well, good morning, West Bowles. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you to our worship team for just leading us into the presence of the Lord. I'm so appreciative of that. And thank you to Thomas for um, your introduction and just the improvement from the first service. He, he really did say, and she's been involved in sex trafficking for the last couple of years. And, you know, it was an awkward moment, but, but he saved it. But, and I'm, I'm usually the one guilty of that. My husband's the one that kind of swoops in to save me just a little bit. Um, ever since just God made me aware and called me to help um, in raising awareness and also bringing restoration and hope to girls who've been recovered out of sex trafficking and also working with a ministry um, that goes directly into the loving on women who are currently in the sex industry and, um, and um, just bringing them the love of Christ and an assumption that they may never come to church but that we want them to know that God loves them. And so I do, I say things, you know, like, well, before I was in sex trafficking and, and my husband will be like, ministering to people in sex trafficking. Or in the spring I had um, the opportunity to, to go with Fireproof Ministries actually to a porn convention where we had a booth and we gave away Bibles. And, um, and anyway, so I kept talking to people, well, at the porn convention that I was just at, you know, my husband's like, giving away Bibles at the porn convention um, and helping to make sure that we clarify that because it just didn't necessarily come naturally to me to do that. But I'm so grateful to be here today. It's not strange for me to stand in front of a group of people. I have an amazing privilege in my full-time job. I work schools and I am the teacher induction coordinator. So every year I get to welcome all of the brand new teachers that come to our district. And um, just about two weeks ago, we welcomed a little over 550 new teachers to Jeffco, and that's just a huge privilege. But not as much of a privilege as being able to be here in this place today to talk to you about the love of Jesus Christ and um, the transformation that he has brought in my life with his love um, and the way that nothing, you know, we can live this life where nothing is holding us back. And I'm so excited to talk about that. I feel this morning a little bit like the woman at the well that ran around and said, come meet a man that told me everything I ever did. Um, and I also feel like the women after the resurrection when Jesus came, they're running around saying, he's alive, he's alive. I've just got so much excitement um, to be able to be before you today. And it's just truly my greatest privilege. Um, my other greatest privilege in the world is being the mom of the three greatest kids in the entire world. Um, these are my kids, but not the most recent photo of my kids. Um, so Josh is in the upper right-hand corner. Josh is currently 21. He's a hockey coach living in Toronto, Canada, and he takes classes online um, through Metro State University. And Connor's on the left, and Connor goes to the University of Alabama. So you guys don't realize this, but it's actually illegal to not say Roll Tide when someone says University of Alabama. So we try that again. So Connor goes to the University of Alabama. Yes, that's what happens. People just walk down the street like Roll Tide, Roll Tide. Like that's just how it is when you're down there. Um, so it's like Aloha in Hawaii. And um, 
Then in the front, we have Toby, and Toby is 16. He's going to Green Mountain, and we're in tech this year. And um, Toby is my absolute hero. Um, if he wasn't my, my son, I think I'd still want to spend as much time with him as possible. He's one of the kindest people I know. And this summer, he just had his 23rd surgery. Um, and one of the things I love about Toby is whenever he's in the hospital, um, they'll be telling him all the stuff they're going to do, and then they say, do you have any questions? And he goes, yeah. How's your day going today? <laughs> and um, that's just without fail. And then I might leave and go to the bathroom. I come back five minutes later, and then the nurse will leave, and he'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Sarah. She's probably going to break up with her boyfriend. It's not going well, but she really likes her job here. And, you know, <laughs> he just loves people so well, and I'm so grateful that I have his role modeling in my life. Our kids go out before us in ways um, that sometimes we put up walls, we put up guards, and our kids go out at us it before us in ways that they're just such incredible role models. Um, so I am going to talk to you about um, numbers today. And the numbers that I've picked to talk to you are 30, 15. But before we do that, I also want to address a huge miracle that's happening tomorrow. And um, that's actually not the one I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that tomorrow's the first full Monday of school in Jefferson County, and all the teachers are going to go back. That's a huge miracle that every year we have teachers show up to work with our kids every year. We're so grateful. Will you, if you're a teacher or you work in education, and a lot of you, I know who you are, will you stand up for a minute? And you're going to pretend like you're shy, but you stand in front of people all the time. So stand up, please. Oh, I love this. Thank you, God. Keep standing. Keep standing for a minute because I'm going to pray for us this morning. I want to pray specifically for you, so please keep standing. Lord, I thank you so much for these people that you have called to the front lines of our culture to provide social, emotional, physical, um, psychological, and academic support to our kids. We thank you for our kids because they are so full of potential and power and promise. And yet they show up to school with so many different needs. And the enemy wants them to feel isolated and alone and afraid. And you have put these people on the front lines to meet their needs, to love them, to be a safe place. God, I thank you the, for the miracle of many of them working for barely above the poverty level, going every single day, dealing with things that we can't possibly imagine that kids are going through. You have called them. You have equipped them. And I pray for a special blessing and anointing over them for this year. I pray that you would just love them and lead them and fill them with your Holy Spirit as they love on our kids on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look and see who they are. Make sure you give them some cash before you leave. I appreciate that as well. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so actually, um, you know, we had the opportunity last week to take Connor back to the University of Alabama. This is a more recent photo. Actually, in my children, so you see Toby on the left, then Connor, then Josh, and then this is Jameson, and Jameson is Connor's roommate from last year, and I love him so much I want to adopt him. I just absolutely adore him. And this is, for, to the right of Jameson, is the tent that we went a whole week in Alabama fishing without having a single bug in it, and so I just need for people, that, like three, three boys... 
no bugs. I mean, that's pretty impressive that we were able to zip that fast, right? It, was, it, took, some, it took some yelling on my part, but we were able to make it happen. Um, but we had an incredible trip. And one of the things I loved about being in the South is all these country churches, country roads, country churches. And there's a lot of different signs in front of churches. So I found myself being really interested in what a sign says about a church. What does a sign say about a church? So here's a couple examples that I found. If you can't read it, it says there are some questions that can't be answered by Google. That's good. Our church is like fudge, sweet with a few nuts. But this last one is my favorite. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> Don't think they meant for it to come across that way. Um, but Connor's church has this sign in it in Alabama. We exist for those not here yet. Oh my gosh, that hit me. It's right over the coffee bar. So while you're waiting for your coffee and you're thinking about your morning, you're reminded of the fact that we exist for those not here yet. That's a mission that I want to own, that I come to church, that as a believer I exist to let other people know about the love of God, to bring other people to him, to show other people that he loves them. And so this is actually one of my favorite, and it might look a little bit familiar to you. What does this sign say about a church? This is the greatest commandment, that we would love God and love others. But my husband would tell you that this sign right here is fatally flawed. It has a huge issue. Because he would say that it should say, love God, love others, period. That there should be a giant punctuation mark at the end of the love others. Love God, period. Or love God, love others, period. Not love others who believe the same way you do. Love others that are fun and friendly to be with. Love others with the same political views. Love others, no, love others, period. That's what God has called us to. And this is our motto as a church, but I'm gonna ask us to think about how well we do that today. So, um, my husband is an incredible person to be able to uh, have us lead into this topic. Um, you know, we've only been married for six years, and I think we've got a picture of our wedding photo up there. There it is. That's, oh, no, sorry. That, this happens all the time. That's actually Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. That's not me and Bruce. Um, but that happens all the time. Um, maybe you've got other, oh, yeah, a common mistake. Let's, let's see if, there we go, there it is. Well, you know what's amazing about this photo? You might notice that on my wedding day, I wasn't alone. Because this man loved others, period. Even if that means that you are marrying a woman that has three teenage sons. Because this was the age of my kids when we got married. And our marriage gets to be a symbol of hope and restoration and second chances and love beyond all circumstances. Because my husband made the choice to love others, period. He said yes to the great adventure of parenting three teenage boys when he didn't have to. And so he's an incredible role model for us today. And I want, oh, honey, they like you. They, it, he's an incredible role model for us today and something I want to think about because it's inconvenient. I mean, you think about all the things that stand in the way of us loving other people. But one incredible, in my opinion, blessing and adventure that he chose by choosing to, to love others, period. Um, so I, I want to uh, share with you the verse that I was hoping that I could preach on this morning. Okay, And that was from Isaiah. And this, to me, 
felt like with all the work that I've done with people in um, recovering from sex trafficking, that this would be the one that I'd want to share. It's from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Isn't that a great verse? I just love that verse. And, and if I were to be able to talk about this verse today, I would be able to tell you so many stories of things that have happened in the last couple of years that we've been able to speak new life and freedom to people that had never felt it before. There's so many beautiful stories. But God kept bringing me back to a different verse and really to a place of my own humility of saying, how could I have even gotten to that place? And so it's a different verse that we're going to talk about this morning, and it's Isaiah 30, 15. It says this, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. This is what the sovereign Lord, the holy God of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Well, I just kept coming back to this verse, and I really tried to negotiate with God quite a bit because I don't think repentance is a very popular topic. And so I didn't necessarily want to preach about this this morning. But what I realized is that repentance is the greatest gift that he's given me because I don't know if I'm, if I'm by myself in this, but um, as a Gen Xer or, or whatever, but I am the most analytical person, and I think, and I dwell, and I beat myself up, and repentance has been an incredible gift where I just learn how to just let go of stuff and just confess it to the Lord and let go of it, and I'm done with it. And so the best analogy that I have, and it's super crude, but if you think about the worst time you ever feel, and this is me, like the worst I ever feel is when I'm about to be sick, whether it's food poisoning, whether it's the stomach flu, I mean, that I just cannot feel it. And you know, if you have a cold, you can take medicine and go to bed, but when you've got a stomach thing, you are just wrestling with that, right? And there is just that relief that comes when you finally are just like, Bleh! and then there's the rest, right? Then comes the rest, and then it's like, oh, I feel so much better. But all that build up, build up, build up, build up. And then comes the rest. That is the worst possible thing to hold on to things that are toxic for our body. And I believe that we're holding on to things in our hearts and our lives that are toxic, that God is just telling us to release to him, that we are just to repent it. We are just to confess and to move on. And so what I want to do is be really transparent with you today about the things that I find myself constantly needing to repent of in order to be in a position where I can love, love others. And I'm not even saying love them well. I'm still working on that. But just to love others and to be willing to be open to say yes, to make that choice to love others, period. There are things that I am constantly having to bleh, I'm going to share them with you today. So it's supposed to be a three-point sermon, not a three-point sermon. Here are my top ten things that I constantly need to repent of in order to love others. Now, the first one I'm not going to talk very long about because I could do 137 sermons just on it. But the first thing I find myself constantly needing to repent of, uh, it's number ten on the list, right, because you have to go backwards, is my, my pain, my anger, my resentment. These are the things in the past that have happened and 
the enemy wants to just keep bringing them back, keep bringing them back, and have me dwell on those because I'm thinking of those and I'm in myself, right? I'm just self-absorbed and thinking about those things instead of being open to the Holy Spirit and what he might want to show me, what he might want me to see. And so the visual picture that I have for that, like the enemy might bring this stuff back to me and remind me of it, and it might come before me, but I have a choice whether I grab onto it or not, right? And so repentance allows me to go bleh and be in a position of surrender and let go of it. And it's not like it's these big things that happen all the time. This can be a constant thing where I'm just like, oh, I'm starting to feel the anger. Oh, Lord, I confess this anger to you. I'm feeling angry. I'm thinking about my own woundedness. I am mad. I am resentful. And by surrendering that, then I am free. And if you think about the shift from this to this, to surrender, and then how easy it is for our arms to be open, how easy it is to open them wide. We're not going to love people well if we're stuck here, and that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. The number nine thing that I realize I've had to repent of is my lack of awareness. Now, I will be honest with you that sometimes things happen on the news, and it feels so toxic to me. I just want to put my head in the sand. I don't want to know about it or think about it. And so I just want to put my head in the sand. But I was reading about a group of nuns who literally pray through the paper. And they are on their knees with every single issue that's happening in our world being able to pray. Because if I just turn the other head and I don't know, then how am I a power on this earth? And so we didn't know before we took a training about girls that that are being kidnapped or or falling into sex trafficking. We didn't know. You know, and a lot of times we think, oh, these girls are being trafficked. And people say, oh, yeah, it's because of I-70 and I-25 and they're bringing girls in. No, it's our girls. There's girls that run away from homes and foster homes in Jeffco and Denver and Centennial and Aurora. They're our kids. And they've left bad situations. But within 48 hours, someone approaches them and they end up in a worse situation. And ever since I've known that and my husband's learned that, guess what? We see a girl walking by herself down the street and we stop. Where are you going? What are you doing? Because our lack of awareness of that fact kept us blinded. And so now God has been able to use us because it's just something that we have become aware of, that we want to be the person to approach instead of somebody else who might manipulate and use this person for bad. So the eighth thing that I'm constantly having to repent is my fear, my doubt, my worry. And this is something that, you know, really... Pastor Thomas started preaching into a couple years ago when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And that ability for us to just trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give us the words and that we don't need to be afraid about it. Now, I will tell you, like I just told you that I went into a porn convention and I wasn't scared about that. I felt the Spirit of the Lord around me. But do you know what makes me afraid? It makes me afraid to pull up to a stoplight and have somebody right next to my window with a sign that says, anything helps, God bless. That fills me with fear and anxiety and I'm worried. I don't know what to do. I'm completely conflicted by this situation. And I could go into a lot of the different reasons why, but I finally got convicted of, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan and I changed it just a little bit. Because what if the Good Samaritan was written more like what I do? And it was like, there was a man going down the road and there was a beggar on the side of the road. And so the first man went down and played with his radio and made sure that he diverted eye contact until the light turned green. And the second man came down the road, and there was a beggar on the side of the road, and, and he actually changed lanes so that there would be a car in between him and the beggar, and he wouldn't have to make eye contact. But the third person came down the road, 
and said, what do you need? Let me take care of you, right? There is so much boldness that has to come from just rolling down a window and saying, how are you today? You know, if 70% of the people out there in the world are Christians, do you think 70% of the people roll down the window and just say, how are you? What's your name? Can I pray for you? Now, see, that's where I get into other doubt and worry because I think, oh my gosh, you know, well, what if I pray for them and then the prayers don't come true and then they actually don't believe in God? I probably, I don't know what I should do right now. Okay, oh, good, the light turned green. I'm off the hook. But the reality is, is that there's opportunities for us to love people if we're willing to engage, if we're willing to lean in, and we're willing to trust the Holy Spirit. But we have to be able, oh, we pull up and I feel that fear and doubt and worry. I just go, oh, God, I confess it. I repent it. Lord, you're in charge. I roll down the window. I trust the Holy Spirit. I've gotten to know people's names, and then I think about them, and then I actually might make them a sandwich on the way to work or something like that. Because I'm actually engaging in people. I'm not afraid of them. They're just people. So another thing that I really need to confess, and I'm not going to do it out loud because it's ugly, is bias and prejudice. There's so much discrimination in our world. And guess what? We don't just discriminate against people based on their race or their culture. We discriminate against people who are handicapped. We discriminate against people with mental illness. We discriminate against people who are overweight. I think probably most of us in this room know what it feels like at some point to be misunderstood. But at some level, we need to get on our knees and we need to ask God for self-awareness for the subconscious things that we're not even aware of, for our bias and our prejudice that might create a barrier in our relationship. Because when it comes down to it, the, the key to evangelism, and somebody once told me this, this is the best advice I could ever hear about evangelism. So when you meet, you should meet someone, be nice to them, and wait. That's the key. Meet someone, be nice to them, and then wait. Because at some point, something's going to come up in their life that you might be able to come in and support and show them love in a deeper way. Or at some point, something might come up in your life that allows you a testimony to talk about what the Lord is doing. Be nice and wait. The Lord will give you those opportunities. And so we just have to make sure that we keep doorways open to our relationships and we're not putting up walls and we're not putting up barriers to ever losing our voice, ever losing our chance to be heard. The sixth thing on my list is judging others. Now this became really apparent to me when I was at the porn convention because what I did not expect, I figured, okay, I'm going to be the lady at the Bible table that's like, would you like a Bible? (laughs) People are like, whatever. People flocked to this table. They were so excited. We had these little books that says Jesus Loves Porn Stars. It has a gospel in it, and it has all these stories of people who God has taken out of the industry and redeemed their lives. It is such a powerful little book. And people came over and said, how much are these? And we said, they're free. And they're like, really? Can I, ha- can I take, how many can I have? People were so excited about this book. And we started talking to them, and, and they started telling us their stories. And you know what? When you're talking to another human being, all you notice is their eyes and their mouth and you're talking to them, right? And you're just with a person. When our booth got quiet and people weren't, weren't around, I had a chance to stand back and kind of see what was going on around me. And I have to tell you, I was appalled by what was going on around me. And I did start to feel very judgmental about what people were wearing and what people were doing. 
But what I realized and what God showed me in that moment is whenever I start to feel that sense of judgment again, what I need to do is realize that I'm standing too far back. Because when I'm right here in someone's face and they're talking and I'm talking, I don't feel judgmental. I just hear their heart. I just hear their story. And so judging others, when we feel it, we need to lean in, get to know the person, get to know the story, and not have assumptions about that. Number five on my list is the fear of being judged by others. I said to the early church, you know, that I, I love being here, but then there was part of me this morning that was like, what was I thinking, you know? And then I thought at some point in the next seven days, I will probably, you can call Bruce and ask him, I will probably be in the fetal position in my bedroom crying, like, nobody likes me. Like, I am that vulnerable. My ego is that vulnerable. And I have to tell you, I wasn't raised in the church, so I didn't really even know what it felt like to feel judged by others until I was an adult. But we do that to each other, and I have fear around it. But I need to confess that. I need to lay that at the Lord's feet because he is my only judge. He is my maker. And so I need to not worry about the opinions of others, but it's something I'm constantly struggling with. The fourth thing on the list is my arrogance. You know, as a single mom, I thought I did a lot to, like, pull myself up by my bootstraps. And I went back to school, and I got a teaching degree, and then... I worked two other jobs and I was going to school to get my master's and I was pretty proud of myself. But you know, a couple months ago, my husband and I, our, our, our house was flooded so we spent about two months in the residence inn and we met so many people that are this close to homelessness. And we actually met a couple that was living in their car behind the residence inn. And what I realized after this conversation and hearing the story is I had so much arrogance about what I thought I had done for myself but I just happened to be someone who was raised in a family that I already had a private education. I had already gone to college. I had a bachelor's degree. I knew how to interview. I knew how to get a job. I had skills already. Plus, I never would have been homeless because I had family and church members that would have taken me in. And but by the grace of God go I. I am no different from somebody on the street except for I have some more privilege. Potentially it was born into a different situation and I have to confess that and repent of it all the time. Blech. So the next one as it comes up on the screen, the only thing I need to say is Blech. Enough said? <laughs> the second one on my list is that I get completely bound by believing the enemy's lies about my lack or skill or talent. I talked about how the enemy's going to bring my pain, but the other thing he'll do is just be like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Well, guess what? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but on, going around the internet, you can see there's a list of all the things that you can do that require zero talent. There's 10 different things that you can do that require absolutely no talent whatsoever, so I don't have to worry about that. I can totally trust God. And the other thing that isn't on the list, you can go to the next slide, is smiling and listening to people. It takes very little skill. It takes very little talent, but is the key to a relationship that might show someone the love of Jesus Christ. The number one thing that keeps me from loving others is when I don't embrace the truth about who I am in Christ. When I forget how loved I am. When I don't know who I am and I don't embrace the power and the strength and the truth of the word and the blood of the lamb. 
Because I truly believe, church, that if we knew who we were in Christ, if we knew how much he loved us, we would be completely unstoppable and have so much hope and joy and love that we would be that wellspring that just overflows and other people would come to us. Whatever you come to this church today with, if there's shame, if there's baggage, if there's hurt, if there's pain, whatever you bring, you have to know that God loves you. He sees you. That he forgives you. And that even when I come here talking about loving others, it's not a burden that I'm trying to place on top of you. But if we go back to the verse, God says that in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. In his presence is our freedom. We go back to that verse in Isaiah 61 about the brokenhearted and the captives and the prisoners. Church, it's us. Because when we're holding on to things that he's telling us just to repent of, then we are so distracted. We are captured. We are imprisoned. We are in bondage. Let this be the day to not be in bondage anymore. Let this be the day to embrace who you are in Jesus Christ. I want to read to you a poem before we close, and then I'm going to ask the band to come back up and just have us spend some time just in worship and um, let the Spirit just do whatever it would do with, with this message and these words. Addiction, depression, domination, oppression, hatred and fear, financial recession, Slavery, mastery, murder and lust, abandonment, loneliness, self-hate and trust. Adoption, abortion, division, divorce, rebuttal, defensiveness, anger, recourse, being a victim, plotting a crime, being a martyr, having no spine, cheating and stealing and lying, regret, silence and apathy, money and debt, contempt, competition, Pride and pornography, passionless marriage, idolatry, apathy, self-admonishment, bigotry, sadness and grief, rebellion, reduction, arrogance, disbelief. Entangled in bondage, embittered by shame, we call to the one who can break every chain. Protector, provider, redeemer, and friend, Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. You break all that binds us. Your powerful blood is shed and redemption pours out like a flood and burns away all that entangles us here. Our burdens, our pain, our temptations, our fear. You break every chain. You break every chain. Freedom and righteousness is our new name. You break every chain. You break every chain. We're freed by the blood of the lamb who was slain. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Will you pray with me? God, I pray right now that as a church and personally in our hearts, we would come to you in surrender and we would come to you in repentance. If not in repentance for our own hearts and our own lives and our own struggles, that we would just come in repentance on behalf of a culture, a culture that doesn't know your love, a culture that doesn't know your voice, a culture that is so deeply in need of your healing. And Lord, I pray that we would not heap sin upon sin. I pray that we would fall into your arms and into the quietness 
and the trusting and the rest that we gain in your presence. And Lord, right now, I just pray in this time that you would just let us all do like a corporate, yeah! <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen.